0: there's more trouble on the horizon for the Trump Organization and potentially former President Donald Trump.
1: Sad. So sad.
2: Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something right. Maybe it is right. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. I am
1: from Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles. This is the Bradcast. As heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA. Also in Red Bluff and Redding, California on KFOI, Round Mountains KKRN, and Eureka's K G-O-E. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's Queso and Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, Rochester, New York's WRFZ. Down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ. In Concord, New Hampshire on WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, Seattle's KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950, KTNF. We also stream coast to coast and around the globe every day on the internets on the Progressive Voices channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Verdant Square Radio, and Detour Talk, Blanketing Planet Earth, five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today. Oh, some big and fun news today, Desi Doyen. Yes, uh, Des- I heard. <laughs> you have spent years actually telling me, oh, Donald Trump, he's never going to be indicted. He gets away with everything. <laughs> you are a gloomy Gus. I am. <laughs> You think he's not going to get caught. He's not going to get indicted. Somehow he's going to, you know, just get away with it all.
3: Slither away with all of it.
1: Now yes. you say that because that's what you think or because you're trying to steal yourself for the for the worst case scenario that this guy has never brought to justice for You anything.
3: know what? That's a good point. I'm not exactly sure.
1: Well, I've uh, never been able to figure out, frankly, how he wouldn't be indicted for something at this point. I'm yep. almost a little surprised it hasn't happened already. That said... You know, I mean, given all of the crimes that this guy is clearly involved in, it seems to me that no one can keep running forever. Maybe I'm too optimistic. Maybe I'm just too sunny. I'm a sunny guy like that, (laughs) which, you know, when people think Brad Friedman, they think sunny, optimistic. Anyway, as of Tuesday night, uh, well, more signs that time may now really be running short for our disgraced former president. We'll see if my guest coming up shortly, a former pro- a federal prosecutor, agrees that But in any event, Donald J. Trump and his family, as the New York Times reports today, are now under increasing pressure from New York investigators after the state attorney general's office said on Tuesday night, for some reason that is not yet clear, frankly. That it was working alongside the Manhattan district attorney in an ongoing criminal fraud investigation of Donald Trump and his companies. The two offices have been uh, the AG and the uh, district attorney have been conducting parallel investigations, often looking at some of the very same things. For more than a year now, though, the inquiry by the Office of New York's Attorney General Letitia James has been a civil one, meaning it could result in a lawsuit or fines, while the Manhattan District Attorney, Cy Vance, has been conducting a criminal investigation, which could result in charges. The new development was first reported by CNN shortly after we got off air uh, on our previous broadcast. It was disclosed after the Attorney General's Office wrote to the Trump Organization in recent days notifying it that information collected as part of the civil inquiry could now be used as part of a criminal investigation. A spokesperson for New York Attorney General Letitia James said in a statement, quote, We have informed the Trump Organization that our investigation into the organization is no longer purely civil in nature. We are now actively investigating the Trump Organization in a criminal capacity along with Manhattan with the Manhattan D.A. We have no additional comment at this time. James's office offered no explanation for what prompted the change in its approach from civil to criminal. Uh, in the investigation, or, uh, more curiously, why it chose to announce it publicly at all. The long-running criminal investigation by the Manhattan District Attorney, according to the Times, has focused on an array of potential financial crimes at the Trump Organization, including tax and bank-related fraud in particular. Prosecutors are examining whether Trump's company inflated the value of his properties to obtain favorable loans and lowered the values to reduce taxes, Uh, which I'm I'm not a prosecutor or a financial or a tax expert, but that sure sounds like fraud to me, claiming that a property is uh, worth one thing when you want to get a loan based on that property as collateral, and then claiming the very same property is worth much, much less when you are paying taxes on it. Yeah. Classic See, fraud, it seems to me. It
3: does, and banks really don't like it when you lie to them. You don't think? Yeah, the IRS not so much about uh, investigating high-income tax yeah. filers, so bank fraud? Yeah, banks don't like that.
1: As AP also notes, Vance's investigation also is believed to have uh, included a look at hush money payments made to women on Trump's behalfs, like uh, adult film actress Stormy Daniels. And the propriety of tax write-offs that the Trump organization claimed on millions of dollars in consulting fees that it paid, including money that went to Donald Trump's daughter, Ivanka, who was already an employee of Donald Trump's firm at the time that she was paid for these uh, consulting fees. Is that a crime? We'll ask my guest in a moment. Vance's office has not publicly said what it is actually investigating, citing... Uh, grand jury secrecy rules, but details have come out via court documents, court filings during the uh, protracted legal battle to get access to Trump's tax records, which it finally obtained in February after a nearly two-year battle to get those documents. As part of her civil investigation, meanwhile, Uh, New York Attorney General James, uh, her office issued subpoenas to local governments in November of 2019 for records pertaining to Trump's estate north of Manhattan called Seven Springs uh, and a tax benefit that Trump received for placing land there into a so-called conservation trust because, you know, he's a great conservationist. If he did that fraudulently, however, well, that would be Well, fraud, Uh, whether civil or criminal or now both. I don't know. James, uh, according to AP, was also looking at similar issues relating to Trump's office buildings in New York City, a hotel in Chicago, a golf course near Los Angeles. Her office also won a series of court rulings, forcing Trump's company and a law firm it hired to turn over troves of records. Vance's investigation, meanwhile, has also appeared to focus in recent weeks on the Trump organization's longstanding finance chief, Alan Weisselberg. His former daughter-in-law, Jen Weisselberg, previously married to one of Allen's sons, has a key emphasis on previously there, uh, has given investigators reams of documents as they look into how some Trump employees were compensated with apartments or school tuition, which may not have been reported as income by Weiselberg and inappropriately written off by the Trump organization, uh, including her former father-in-law, who is now, I suspect, getting squeezed pretty hard by both James and... Uh, Attorney General James and uh, District Attorney Vance in their concurrent probes, hoping to uh, flip Weisselberg against Trump, even as Weisselberg has been one of the longest serving and most loyal employees, reportedly, of the Trump organization, going all the way back to the days when Trump's dad, Fred Trump, ran it. So uh, as part of that effort to gain cooperation from the elder uh, Weisselberg, the Times reports the district attorney has subpoenaed records from his bank and even the private school in Manhattan where Weisselberg's grandchildren have attended. It's unclear what role Ms. James's office will now play in that aspect of Cyrus Vance's investigation. In the collaboration, two assistant uh, attorneys general from James's office are said to be joining the district attorney's team, according to people with knowledge of the matter, speaking to The New York Times. But uh, her office, the paper reports, will not be conducting its own independent criminal investigation. Instead, they will be joining forces with the D.A. As part of the inquiry, you'll recall Vance's office uh, had obtained eight years worth of Trump's tax returns, among other financial records, only after Trump aggressively fought that effort That resulted in a long-running legal battle that twice reached the U.S. Supreme Court. All of that is among, among the probes currently underway into our former president, in addition to a criminal probe by the district attorney in Atlanta. Don't forget about that one, looking into whether Trump unlawfully pushed election officials to change election results and or was part of a conspiracy to do so. None of which touches yet on any federal investigations that also may be going on into all into some or all of the above or into his incitement of the January 6th U.S. Capitol insurrection. So little wonder that I'm shocked he hasn't been indicted already. Anyway, joining us now to try to help us make sense of all of this, and boy do I wish him luck, is our old friend Randall Eliasson, law professor at D.C.'s George Washington University School of Law, as well as a writer and commentator on corporate and white-collar criminal law, as frequently seen opining in the Washington Post and on his own site, Sidebars Blog. He is also a former assistant U.S. attorney for the District of Columbia, where he served as chief of the Public Corruption and Government Fraud Section. So, yeah, he may know a thing or two about some of this. Professor Eliason, I know you're on the road today, so thanks for taking a few minutes to join us again on the broadcast, sir. Sure,
2: my pleasure. Thanks for having
1: me. Uh, as usual, I've got many questions I'm hoping you can clear up for me. Uh, first, I I have long tried to understand how the New York Attorney General and the Manhattan District Attorney both appeared to be investigating some of the very same things regarding w- what is believed to be alleged bank and tax fraud, uh, with Trump said to have you know, inflated the value of his properties for collateral when trying to get loans, but undervaluing the same assets uh, when he had to pay taxes on them. But the DA's probe had been characterized as a criminal investigation. The AG's office had been looking at civil charges even though they're looking at the same thing. So what, essentially, is the difference uh, between the two? Criminal charges versus civil charges? Uh, and and why wouldn't it have been a single investigation from the beginning since they're looking at, as I understand it, the same potentially unlawful activity?
0: All right. So I'm not sure I can completely clear up the latter part of that question for you. I'm not a New York attorney. Mm-hmm. And from, from, from what I have looked at, it looks like there's some pretty complicated rules about when the D.A. has jurisdiction, when the Attorney General has jurisdiction, mm-hmm. and I don't claim to be an expert on those at all, but they do seem to have a lot of overlapping authority uh... to look at at the same kinds of cases and the so in terms of why you know the D.A. is looking at uh... his own criminal case and then the Attorney General was doing a separate civil investigation mm-hmm. um, i'm not a hundred percent sure of the intricacies of new york law that led to that but the, the big picture question yeah. Civil versus criminal. Yeah, um, the the clearest difference, the most important difference, is in a criminal case, people can go to jail. Um, only in a criminal prosecution can somebody actually lose their liberty. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of other penalties can be the same. Civil and criminal cases can both result in fines. You know, uh, court orders to change behavior, things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but only criminal cases put people in jail. And, of course, criminal cases have the higher burden of proof as well. You've got to prove beyond a reasonable doubt to unanimous jury, uh, uh, unless there's a, a guilty plea, of course. Mm-hmm. civil cases, the burden of proof is much lower, typically just the preponderance of the evidence that, that you can establish the offense took place. So civil cases can lead to hefty fines, but the stakes are lower because at the end it's usually primarily about money.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: and you know, whereas a criminal case, now you start talking about people possibly going to jail and the stakes are a lot higher
1: mm-hmm. well speaking just in general terms um you know how would a civil probe become a cri- a criminal probe in the first place what what would have to change for that to happen particularly if they're looking at you know the same uh the same behavior um right. what how, how how does it go from civil to criminal what sort of thing would they see Yep, especially with
0: financial crimes like this, Uh because as you mentioned in your intro, they're sort of—it seems like they're looking at things like tax fraud and the bank fraud, Mm -hmm. or you know, allegations of financial misconduct. Mm -hmm. The primary way that would change from civil to criminal, or, or start off as criminal, is if you think you have proof of criminal intent. So it's primarily about whether you think you can prove this wasn't some kind of. You know, negligence or, mm. or confusion about what the tax code allowed or, or just sort of technical violation. This was deliberate intentional mm. fraud. And that's when you cross the line into potential criminal behavior. Um, but, but you're absolutely right. It can be based on almost exactly the same conduct. For a lot of securities fraud, for example, on the federal level, you know, insider trading, things like that, uh-huh. many of those cases are civil. But if they find evidence that the uh, the intent was, was uh, serious enough, or, or you know that the, that the defendant actually had criminal intent. It was a deliberate fraud, and not some kind of mistake or confusion or misunderstanding or mm-hmm. or negligence. Then it can become basically exactly the same behavior, with the difference just being that level of intent, that finding of criminal intent.
1: I see. Now, it,
0: what would? Yeah, oh, sorry. Go ahead.
1: No, no. Please go ahead. Continue
0: as to what would make them change. So, you know, if she started off with a civil investigation, now she says, okay, now it's criminal.
1: Uh-huh.
0: Um, we, we can only speculate, of course, but it, it would often be something like finding some new blockbuster witness. Mm-hmm. You've got some new cooperator now who's giving you information you didn't have before, or mm-hmm. something new you discovered in the documents mm-hmm. that you didn't have before. You know, something has changed mm-hmm. in the course of her investigation, to lead her think to think now, uh, I ac- actually may have evidence of criminal intent here, and then I'm going to expand the scope.
1: Got it. Well, what is then the general relationship, um, not just in New York, really, but anywhere in general, between uh, a state attorney general and a county, or I guess in this case, a borough uh, prosecutor, district attorney? Are they are they entirely separate? Offices? Does one sort of work for or take precedent over another, the way a a federal investigation may take precedent over a state investigation or vice versa? Do do, do you understand that relationship?
0: My sense is that varies from state to state. Okay. So I'm not sure what exactly that relationship is in New York,
2: to be Mm -hmm. honest with you.
0: Um, It it appears that they do have, in at least some cases, they each have some independent jurisdiction where they're sort of... uh, in charge of their own area
2: mm-hmm.
0: and had a responsibility for those cases
2: um,
0: but here they, it appears that they've decided to sort of collaborate right so it sounds like they're not so much each pursuing an independent investigation now but now they're going to work together because there is so much overlap uh... in, in the types of things they're looking at and if they did find enough evidence of criminal activity then you know at the end of that investigation how it went who would actually you know, be going into court and bringing the prosecution and things like that. I, again, that may also depend on what exact uh, charges they, they would end up
1: bringing. And the idea that uh, Tish James' uh, New York Attorney General's office has uh, apparently a couple of employees now working with Vance's office, uh right. who was working on the criminal uh, side of this would that would that mean and I know I, I realize we're doing a lot of speculating here, but w- would that mean that uh, the civil probe is no longer active or moving forward with the AG or would the, the state here theoretically be considering both civil and criminal charges
0: Yeah I doubt that it means the civil probe has has halted mm-hmm. um, the because that's actually the easier one to prove. Mm -hmm. Civil charges are actually the easier one to prove, and so if you've moved on to looking at criminal charges, it's almost like uh, an escalation, and you wouldn't expect that to mean we're dropping the civil side. You'd Mm -hmm. expect it to mean, okay, we're pursuing the civil side, but we better look at the criminal side too, because this might be serious enough to rise to that level. Um, So I wouldn't infer from this that she's of abandoning the civil side i would assume that that's still there
1: and on the criminal side if uh you know people go to jail for that do you bring criminal charges against uh a comp? i mean no you can bring them against a person yeah. but can you also bring them against a company and if you do does anyone go to jail in 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 those cases
0: yep that's a great question that's the funny thing about investigating a corporation of course is that the corporation can't go to jail, so mm-hmm, when it comes right. to criminal when it comes to criminal charges against the corporation, the the penalties really are pretty much the same. It's still usually about you know fines, you know uh, changes in mandated changes in corporate behavior, things like that. But you can't put the corporation in jail. But what's interesting about the expansion of her of the, her probe is. The the way a corporation so to answer your first question, you can charge a corporation with a crime. A corporation mm-hmm. can be convicted of a crime. Right. But the only way that happens is if its agents, you know, committed the crime in the course of their corporate duties and with you know, with the intent to sort of benefit the company. Mm-hmm. And so you've usually well, you've always got some individual within the company that's committing the crime that leads to the company being charged, but that means you could also potentially charge the individual. So mm-hmm. what makes this kind of ominous news for Trump is if there's a criminal organization going on of criminal investigation going on of the Trump organization, that means they suspect some individual employees or, or officers within that organization committed crimes for which the company could be held liable. But that means they could be held liable
2: as well.
1: Uh, do, do you have any sense of why the New York Attorney General would right now make any of this public? I mean, this was a statement. This wasn't, a, you, know, they, they, you know, they have learned that uh, Tis James has someone working with Cy Vance. This was actually a statement put out by the New York Attorney General. Why yeah. would they do that? Why would they make any of this public right now? Is there anything that we can learn or, I guess, even speculate from that?
0: I don't know. Um, My best guess, actually, would be that they knew it was going to leak.
2: Uh But,
0: um, you know, I mean, there are some things that you can't hide if she's detailed to employees to work with Vance. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's going to be apparent to people who are observing the investigation, you know. And uh, at some point, that news is going to get out, it seems to me. So maybe they're just trying to get in front of it um, because they... Either where they were getting inquiries about it, or they know it's about to, you know, leak in the press. That this is somehow they're now collaborating, and so to get in front of it, they release mm-hmm. a statement. But that really is just a guess, and I, I can't think of a sort of tactical. Know reason, investigative reason to, to do it, and typically, like you said, you, you try to keep it confidential.
1: Yeah, you would, and it's somewhat surprising. I mean, I'm not I'm not sure what to make of just that fact alone that they, you know, came out and in no uncertain terms said, "Yes, we are now actively investigating this as a uh, in a criminal capacity with the Manhattan DA." I find that interesting. Uh, uh-huh. Should we take anything from uh, the amount of time? That all of this has now taken. I know that both uh, uh, James and Vance are probably very happy to have avoided the, you know, the thorny question of having to bring charges against a sitting president. But they've both been reportedly looking at this for a pretty long time. Uh, Vance received the uh, the taxes and other financial documents uh, back in February after two trips to the Supreme Court. But they've been looking at this for two years. If they found wrongdoing yeah. here, how long would you expect? Uh, that it might take for, you know, either uh, for charges uh, from either office to ultimately be brought against Trump and or his company? Or is there uh, no set timing for that sort of thing?
0: There's no set timing. It can take a long time. I mean, it would surprise me if it was, uh, you know, many more months. Um, The thing is, a big part of Vance's delay, as you mentioned, was fighting to get the tax returns, And, Mm -hmm. and those were you know, critical evidence mm-hmm. for any financial investigation, getting those documents, and, and he only got them a few months ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it, you have to go through them. <laughs> and then you know, the Trump Organization and Trump's tax returns are massive. Right. right? And, you, and you've got to study years of them and try to pull the data out of them, and then you've got to identify the witnesses that can tell you about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, these big white-collar financial investigations, they're so document-intensive, uh, it just takes a lot of time to mm. gather the information, digest it, mm-hmm. figure out what's in it, figure out what witnesses you need to help explain it to you, mm-hmm. and then they've got lawyers and they're fighting you about whether they want to testify or not. And mm-hmm. there's uh, there seem to be a lot of collateral battles in these investigations as well, like Trump's fight to prevent his tax returns from being turned over, and that drags them out too. So big financial white collar investigations like this, they could they. Can easily take years. And, you know, this one actually is, considering how complicated I'm sure this is, uh, to me, this doesn't seem like that long mm-hmm. so far.
1: <laughs> there, I, I gotcha. Are, there are sort yeah. of two, uh, well, two different uh, points here that I'm not sure I understand even what the crime is. And, and so maybe yeah. you can help me out here uh, in a general sense, even if you're not familiar with New York uh, law in this case. But uh, Vance's criminal probe uh, is reportedly uh, closely investigating Alan Weisselberg. He's the Trump Organization's longtime chief financial officer uh, who is said to you know, know where all the bodies are buried. He was working with Fred Trump, uh, Trump's father. He's been there for a long time. Um, and one of the aspects is purportedly into whether employees like Weisselberg and his sons, who also work for the Trump Organization, were paid with things like... Free apartments in Manhattan and school tuition to, uh, you know, private schools for the kids. Um, Apparently, the private school attended by Weisselberg's grandson has been uh, reportedly subpoenaed for documents on tuition payments after Weisselberg's former daughter-in-law is now said to be cooperating with prosecutors. How would those things amount to crimes by either uh, Trump or the organization? Are you not allowed to pay someone with a free apartment in Manhattan? Yeah, that
0: sounds to me like some kind of a tax scam. I mean, you know, again, sort of speculating based on the news reports and Mm -hmm. things like that, but it sounds like, and considering that we know Vance, or we think, Mm -hmm. (laughs) that Vance has been looking at tax crimes in general or potential tax crimes uh, as well as potential bank fraud Mm -hmm. uh, issues, that sounds to me like part of a tax investigation, like maybe those payments are a way to avoid... Uh, you know they're they're paying the tuition under the table or something like that so that the employee doesn't show any taxable income or maybe mm-hmm. the corporation gets to write it off as a deduction to the school or something uh and, and that you know that it sounds like a tax thing <laughs> without so, knowing more about it, but that would be
2: my guess.
1: So one, one potential uh, direction here would be that the Weisselbergs themselves might be in trouble because they didn't report that as income, and therefore, if they're in trouble tax-wise, maybe they'll be uh, willing to sing on on their boss. Does that sound exactly. plausible? Okay.
0: Yeah, yep. uh, there's a lot of speculation, I'm sure you've seen it in the, re- the last couple of weeks, about whether Weisselberg will flip. right. You know, they say they're bringing a lot of pressure on him. And, of course, like you said, he knows where all the bodies are buried. So that would be a pretty significant development.
1: And what about this? Uh, is it unlawful to pay Ivanka Trump as a consultant, even while she is on the books uh, as a salaried employee for the uh, for the company itself? What What's wrong with that?
0: Yeah, again, I would guess that that's a tax thing, right? There's going to be some kind of favorable tax treatment. That either the corporation or Ivanka, mm-hmm. you know, were, were getting from that arrangement, that then could be the subject of either civil penalties or, if it's egregious enough, you know, possible criminal penalties.
1: Now, let me uh, uh, leave you with, it. well, uh, one or two more here. The, the, this is more maybe in your federal wheelhouse. Uh, as mentioned, uh, Vance's office is said to have been looking into these hush money payments to Stormy Daniels before the 2016 election to shut her up about an affair that Trump supposedly had with her about 10 years ago. Now, federal charges there were already successfully brought against Trump's lawyer, Michael Cohen, who pleaded guilty to participating in a conspiracy, quote, directed, unquote, by Donald Trump to pay her off to stay quiet. Cohn went to prison for yep. that, and federal prosecutors, when 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 Cohn pleaded guilty, they also declared that Trump directed that conspiracy. Shouldn't there already be federal charges brought against Trump for that by now, now that he's out of office, and now that the, the, the federal prosecutors have already said he done it?
0: I, again, uh, Speculating a little bit about, because, of course, this is all protected by a grand, grand jury. Mm-hmm. Um, but Everything you said is correct. My my guess would be that they were concerned about whether they could prove criminal intent on Trump's part mm. beyond a reasonable doubt, or at least that they had a compelling enough case to go after a former president. Mm-hmm. Um, campaign finance laws are a little funky. They actually require because they're sort of this regulatory crime, you know, it's not something that's inherently unlawful like shooting someone. I mean, Mm -hmm. um, they require a heightened level of intent, of of willfulness, and you really basically have to show not that just the defendant did it, but that he knew it was criminal. Um, And Uh. that could be a hurdle they couldn't get over when it came to Trump himself.
1: Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas Cohen, as a lawyer, he would know better, he should know better, he could be held accountable, whereas Trump could say, I had no idea that was a crime. Potentially,
0: yeah, and of course Cohen, you know, pleaded guilty to it, so it never got tested whether the government could have proved he he knew or not. He was willing to admit it. But mm. if you're going to indict Trump, presumably he's going to deny knowing that, right? And he's going to say, "I relied on my lawyers. You know, Cohen and others told me it was okay mm. to do it this way, so we did it. I had no idea it was a criminal campaign finance violation. You know, uh. believe that or not. You know, you might find that not credible, but criminal cases, you got to get 12." Beyond a reasonable doubt, that's that's a high bar, and if there's some question about that, that can be a reason not not to pursue a criminal case.
1: Got it. Very interesting. Thank you for clearing that up. And I will leave you with one last question, which you can choose to answer or not, Randall Eliason. Uh It seems like all that we've been talking about here, there's a lot of criming going on, allegedly, and so I'm not going to ask you to predict what happens here. But let me ask you this way, and and see if I can trick you into giving me an answer. By this time next year, would you be more surprised if Trump hasn't been criminally indicted uh, via any of these investigations or more surprised that he has been?
0: By this time next year?
1: Yeah.
0: I'd be more surprised if he has not.
1: I like that answer. Randall D. Eliason can be found uh, at <laughs> SidebarsBlog.com. He also writes frequently in the Washington Post. He is a law professor at D.C.'s George Washington University Law School, and you can find him on the Twitters at R.D. Eliason. Randall, always appreciate you, uh, you joining us on the show. Thanks for clearing things up, and we'll check sure. back, in, back in with you next time this year to see if you're right. <laughs> All right. Sounds good. Thanks, Thanks. brother. I like that answer a lot Desi Doana <laughs> I, I bet you do I saw that you did too when he said it <laughs> that he would be more surprised if he was not indicted by next year
3: Indeed you know because I'm I'm obviously cynical and skeptical of anything good happening so <laughs> yes, you that always I are. think would make me uh, would uh, that is encouraging to hear that and it's it's really helpful to have him to explain how these things work nuts and bolts the just the facts aspect of it so I, I'm really glad that uh, he was able to clear up a lot of that stuff
1: And I should note and I I should have it on the way out there. He is a former assistant U.S. attorney uh, for D.C. He worked on uh, as the chief of the public corruption and government fraud section. So the fact that he would be more surprised if Donald Trump was not indicted by this time next year is pretty big. I think so. Yeah. We'll see if he's right. Yeah. But don't worry, uh, Des, uh, we have, uh, since I know you're cynical and skeptical of any good news. <laughs> yep. Uh, well, then you'll be very happy with the uh, next segment, maybe even the next two segments. Uh, plenty to be cynical and skeptical about. Straight ahead on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Hey, this is Brad. Our nightmare election may be over, but new ones are on the way. Here at the Bradcast and Bradblog.com, we fight for election integrity all year around like no other media outlet in the nation. But of course, we need your help to do it. Please stop by bradblog.com slash donate to make an automated monthly pledge of any amount you like, or even just a one-time only contribution to help us remain on your public airwaves and completely independent. The fight for voting rights, civil rights, and to save our planet continues. Please help us continue that fight independently over your public airwaves by stopping by bradblog.com slash donate right now. Go ahead, do it right now. From Desi Doyen and myself, thank you.
2: Delta Dawn, what's that flower you have on? Could it be a faded rose from days gone by? And did I hear you say he was a Take you to his mansion in the sky. Uh-huh.
1: I see what you did there. <laughs> mansion. Mansion in the sky. Yeah. Cause I'm gonna be talking about Joe Mansion.
2: Yes.
3: There you go. Mansion you're, in the sky.
1: You're so clever. Welcome back to the Bradcast, <laughs> Brad Friedman from Bradblog.com. Well, yeah, as I said, uh, plenty, Daz, for you to be cynical and skeptical about good things happening as you are. Uh Um, And here's a perfect example. Uh, So... The the fight at the uh, federal level to protect voting rights in the states uh, is continuing, even as the state by state fight to hold back these new voter suppression laws being passed by Republicans in states like Iowa, Texas, Montana, Arizona. Georgia and elsewhere continues. As we reported on Monday on the broadcast, when we broke the news here that I am a named plaintiff in the Coalition for Good Governments federal lawsuit filed on Monday in Atlanta challenging the new GOP anti-voting law on a number of grounds that some of the other lawsuits that have also been filed against this same bill, SB 202, have not yet noticed, like free speech rights for journalists that are now blocked incredibly enough from some of the mind blowing provisions in that Republican law that were adopted with lightning speed in March before almost anyone knew what was actually in this sweeping 100 page bill. We talked about it in detail on on Monday, but it's due to those unconstitutional assaults on press freedoms that I agreed to join the complaint against this bill as a plaintiff, as we discussed in detail with the coalition's executive director, Marilyn Marks. You can download that show from Monday if you missed it uh, for free at bradblog.com because I got to tell you, there's a lot of stuff in that bill that nobody understands how Outrageous it actually is. They've been focused on other outrages, of course, like making it unlawful to be able to give food and water to people standing in lines, hours long lines to vote in Georgia. But there's a lot more in it that is arguably even worse. Um, but the most important solution to the GOP assault on voting rights at the state level Yes, all of these state uh, law these lawsuits are important at the state level, but the most important thing would be a federal bill to block the voter suppression in various ways in all 50 states. And as in the For the People Act passed by the House as H.R. 1, now pending in the Senate as S. 1 which would do things like end partisan gerrymandering, enact automatic voter registration across the country. It would mandate early voting hours in all states. It would severely curb dark money in our campaigns and in our elections Uh, and, and much more. Long overdue stuff to try and revive our flagging system of democracy in this country. So that's one bill, the HR 1, uh, now known as S1 as it awaits uh, something in the Senate, but otherwise known as the For the People Act. That's one. Then there's the, uh, separately, the John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act, or HR 4. That is on a separate track from HR 1, the For the People Act, because it specifically focuses on restoring the central part of the Voting Rights Act, which the U.S. Supreme Court gutted. Back in 2013, when they declared the list of jurisdictions with histories of racism at the polling place, which had to have new election laws pre-cleared by the Department of Justice before they could be enacted, well, the Supreme Court declared that list to be somehow unconstitutional, outdated, Uh, Yeah, because (laughs) we
3: we elected a black president. Therefore, racism is over. Kind
1: of. That's kind of what they were going with. So they said, well, you can still, you know, have this preclearance requirement, but you got to come up with new reasons to put jurisdictions onto that list. Right now, nobody is on that list because the Supreme Court gutted the list itself. They didn't kill the provision that requires the preclearance of these new laws. Again, by states with histories of racial voter suppression at the polls, they just killed the list altogether, and Republicans have refused to restore that list uh, with a meth with you know any method that might pass Supreme Court muster in the what are we now eight years since that. Since the Supreme Court did that
3: Exactly And and something that uh, Vox uh, Supreme Court correspondent Ian Mil- Milheiser has said yeah. Is the reason that the preclearance was put into place In the first place Was because these jurisdictions Would implement new laws As fast as they yes. could be struck down by courts yeah. And so they had to get some kind of list Of preclearance saying Stop before you pass it Before the voter suppression occurs In
1: advance You have right. to show You have to demonstrate That this will not disproportionately Uh, affect hurt minority voters. So that is what has not been in place since 2013. The John Lewis Voting Rights Act attempts to restore that list, a list that would pass Supreme Court muster by instituting preclearance for new election laws in all 50 states to assure that they none of these laws disproportionately harm racial minorities. That law uh, or that bill, I should say, is is being kept separate from the for the People Act. A lot of people, I think are confused about yes. these two different bills. but it's being kept separate so that they they can develop a legislative record that, you know, they can show that uh, later on, when this bill is eventually challenged at the Supreme Court, if it ever gets passed, they can show that there is a, Uh, a legislative record that is carefully tracked as it moves through the House and the Senate to make sure that they crossed all the T's, dotted all of the I's, looked at these things very carefully, came up with a good reason that this measure needs to be implemented, and so forth. That's why it's kept separate. That's why it's a separate thing and is not just combined with the uh, Omnibus for the People Act. So the Voting Rights Act itself before it was gutted by the Supremes, was actually reauthorized for another 25 years under a Republican president. That would be George W. Bush back in 2006 and a Republican U.S. House at the time where it was adopted overwhelmingly in the House House. After hours and hours of this legislative record as they held hearings and tens of thousands of documents showing how important and necessary the Voting Rights Act still was, passed overwhelmingly in the House, it passed 98 to 0 in the U.S. Senate. So in theory, the Voting Rights Act is bipartisan or it used to be. Until it was gutted by the Supreme Court, and Republicans have then, for the next eight years or whatever, refused to correct what the High Court saw as a problem. But now, with West Virginia Democrat Joe Manchin serving as the only Democratic senator to not sign on as a sponsor, a co sponsor of H.R. 1, the For the People Act, now that it's in the Senate as S 1, well, it would require all 50 Democrats. In the Senate to to pass it or, frankly, to pass anything else. And all 50 Democrats would, in this case, need to reform the filibuster in some way to pass something like S-1 because it's not budget related. So you can't pass it under budget reconciliation with just a, a straight up or down majority vote. So with that in mind, it's been unclear how any of this is going to go anywhere in the U.S. Senate when it comes to either the For the People Act or the John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act. But Joe Manchin now, the Lord and Savior of the U.S. Senate, long may he live, <laughs> has he has an idea. He thinks that election bills ought to be bipartisan. And, of course, I agree. Well, I agree at least if we had two parties that were actually dealing in good faith with such things, but sadly we do not. We have Democrats and we have bad-faith Republicans. That's it. Unfortunately, Joe Manchin does not seem to have figured that out just yet, I guess. So anyway, he has a plan, it seems. Forget about H.R. 1 entirely, the For the People Act, at least for now, unless Republicans are willing to come along with it. Good luck with that. Hope nobody is holding their breath. And instead, focus on the John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act. And, and that because it, you know, it's the Voting Rights Act. Theoretically, Republicans are in favor of the Voting Rights Act because, you know, everyone knows the last time it came up for a vote for reauthorization, they reauthorized it for 25 years with a bipartisan, a unanimous 98 to 0 vote in the U.S. Senate. And there's a number of senators, I think about eight, uh, who voted for it at the time who are still in the Senate. So now Joe Manchin has found one Republican, one Republican,
3: one Republican
1: who appears anyway willing to play along with him on this gambit. According to The Hill, uh, S- Senators Joe Manchin of West Virginia, Democrat, and Lisa Murkowski, the Republican from Alaska, are urging congressional leaders to advance a reauthorization of the Voting Rights Act that could garner bipartisan support. Could. Says the Hill. Uh, Manchin and Murkowski, uh, who are described by the Hill as moderate minded senators at the center of the Senate, they sent a letter on Monday to Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy, Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, saying that they, quote, must not allow, unquote, voting to become a partisan issue. Try not to laugh. This is very, very serious. Uh, Inaction is not an option, they write in their letter. Congress must come together, just as we have done time and again, to reaffirm our longstanding bipartisan commitment to free, accessible and secure elections for all. We urge you to join us in calling for the bipartisan reauthorization of the Voting Rights Act through regular order meaning going through all the committees and going through the floor and going, overcoming a filibuster. We can do this, they write. We must do this. Now, Democrats, uh, as The Hill notes, have rallied around the John Lewis Voting Rights Act. It would revive the formula, which the Supreme Court Described as outdated in order to strengthen the 1965 law. But while previous reauthorizations of the Voting Rights Act have gotten bipartisan support, the Hill notes, the bill would likely face challenges getting the votes needed to defeat a filibuster in the Senate. Murkowski was the only GOP sponsor for the bill during the previous Congress. And I guess maybe she'll be, well, So far, the only one who appears interested in it at all right now. The uh, Senators Manchin and Murkowski wrote, We reflect not just on the positive impact the Voting Rights Act has had on individual Americans' ability to exercise their most fundamental right, the right to vote, and the strength of our democracy writ large, but on the important work we still have to do to realize that promise of ensuring the right of all to vote. Any legislation they added should go through the committee process, which would give senators the option of trying to make changes to the bill before it gets to the House or Senate floor.
3: Take longer.
1: Senate Judiciary Committee Chair Dick Durbin has said he wants to take the John Lewis Voting Rights Act up through his panel uh, in the Judiciary Committee. Manchin's push for Congress to focus on reauthorizing the Voting Rights Act comes as Democrats are eager to pass a broader bill known as the For the People Act that would overhaul elections. But Manchin has repeatedly said he does not support the bill in part because he wants GOP support for any election related bills that it is taking up in Congress. Uh, For the People Act, of course, already passed the House earlier this year and it passed without any GOP votes and has sparked unified GOP opposition in the Senate. So that is where we are in the Senate with the notion that somehow (laughs) any of this is going to get passed, with Joe Manchin saying, nope, sorry, not going along anyway for now on the For the People Act. And all we have to do is get nine other Republican senators to come along with us, and we'll be able to overcome a filibuster.
3: Lickety-split. No problem. And
1: get this voting That's all it's going to take.
3: Good luck with that. Act
1: fixed. Yeah. No kidding. Good luck with that. But I wanted people to understand what the what the current path is for all of this. Chuck Schumer has said the failure is not an option when it comes to passage of For the People Act. That's what he was saying a few months ago. Now he's not saying a whole lot for some reason because maybe failure is an option, as I fear. And as Desi Doyen, I know you're happy about because it means nothing is happening. Well, no, I'm definitely not happy about that, but I I think we have
3: to manage expectations and uh, help people understand the level of pressure that needs to be brought to bear in order to make these changes.
1: But this is why the action at the state level challenging now each of these laws uh, is so very important, including the suit in which I am now a plaintiff uh, in Georgia. That's a federal suit, uh, but it's going against the uh, state law. There you go. Hope that helps. All right. As to the importance of federal action on things like our climate emergency, well, that got a little bit more support this week. No, not from Republicans, but uh, from a, a surprising group in a new report being described as a blockbuster. That is next on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. <laughs>
3: Hey, this is Desi. The Bradcast and the Green News Report survive thanks to you and your support. Please drop by bradblog.com slash donate today to help us stay independent every day over your public airwaves. That's bradblog.com slash donate. And thanks.
1: Welcome back. To your friendly neighborhood broadcast, I'm Brad Friedman from brandblog.com. The International Energy Agency, or IEA, released a a report on Tuesday that declares reaching net zero CO2 emissions by 2050, as President Biden uh, recently declared as a new target for the U.S., will require, quote, huge leaps. And clean energy innovation, including the widespread use of technologies that are not on the market yet, but that focus heavily on tapping renewable energy sources, which I believe is needed, whether these technologies that are not on the market yet or are ultimately ever available on the market or not. The uh, report from this uh, top global energy agency is its first comprehensive study examining how to transition to a net zero energy system by 2050 while ensuring stable and affordable energy supplies, providing universal energy access, enabling robust economic growth. The IEA offered a more than 200 page roadmap for building a net zero energy sector in the next 30 years. The path, it said, would be, quote, technically feasible, but narrow and extremely challenging, requiring an unprecedented transformation of how energy is produced, transported, used globally uh, and, yes, demanding innovations. That haven't come to market yet And that may not even exist yet uh, Des, I've seen this uh, many referring to this as a blockbuster Is Is it really a big deal? This, this is uh, totally
3: thing? a big deal This is a huge blockbuster The International Energy Agency is a UN agency And in the past It has been pretty much captured By the fossil fuel industry So mm. for them to come out and say Hey, we've got a pathway to net zero by 2050 And here's what it is Is really actually a big deal Because the fossil fuel industry especially oil companies, have been pointing to past IEA reports to say, look, they say that we still need fossil fuels. So we're going to use that to justify continuing to extract and develop new resources for fossil fuels. So this takes away the fossil fuel industry's last excuse that they have been using to block action. To
1: be clear, their chief recommendation here, as I understand it from the IEA, is ending investment in fossil fuels Period. Stop. Uh, Full stop. B- yeah. Exactly.
3: So there are some, some. No more
1: pipelines, no more wells, all of that stuff.
3: Correct. Now they're saying that we will still need some fossil fuels to get us to net zero by 2050 until we're able to deploy renewables at sufficient scale. But we can get there. And that's what is different about this particular report that they have pulled out. So they say there is no need for investment in new fossil fuel supply. That means that uh, beyond projects that have already be commi- been committed as mm-hmm. of 2021, they say, Quote, there are no new oil and gas fields approved for development in our pathway. No new coal mines or mine extensions should be required at all.
1: And that's not just coal, but also, you know, no new pipelines? Correct. Uh, Oil, gas, so forth. No new
3: fossil fuel extraction should be started. Period. Period. Beyond what is already on the books right now. No new fracking. Exactly. So the second thing they say is that the focus for oil and gas producers should switch now to entirely focusing on reducing their emissions from output, what they're doing now. So Mm. they have to also, the fossil fuel industry, must also cut their own emissions. They also say that the banking industry must now step up, the financial industry. Quote: Policies need to be designed to send market signals that unlock new business models and mobilize private spending, especially in Emergent emerging economies. And that's to inform banks that this is the direction that the world of finance has to go, and that should help uh, move more investment to renewables. And that means no longer giving financial backing to new fossil fuel infrastructure like new pipelines or new uh, liquefied natural gas projects to uh, export mm-hmm. LNG to the rest of the world.
1: And uh, So let me underscore this, because, again, you say this is a UN agency, and traditionally Republicans, they hate the UN, they think- they're all a bunch of uh, liberal <laughs> they love whatever the IEA. they love the iea right because yeah. that is has been a very pro fossil fuel uh group within the un and now they're singing a different tune um, is this going to change the way Republicans look at the IEA? Or will they will they finally see the writing on the wall when it comes to fossil fuels? Because, hey, even the IEA is turning on them. Or will they just say, yeah, maybe, but, you know, I don't have to worry about it. I'll be dead. It's only my grandchildren uh, who will be, you know, fighting to live on an unlivable world. And who cares about them?
3: I think it will make zero difference to any politician that's a Republican because they're seeming to be focused only in staying in Power for themselves mm-hmm. and keeping the fossil fuel industry in business. So this because is, those are
1: the same things. Yeah, That's where they get their money. Exactly. Yeah. So
3: so I doubt that Republicans will take anything from the IEA report. But the rest of the world, this the IEA reports are used for planning by governments. I mean, this is this is how they approach the goals that they're going to be making for investments. So it's very important on that level. But I also have to point out one really important thing: mm-hmm. the uh, the part about the that we we won't have all of the things, all of the tools that we need. We're going to have to invent stuff. Half of these reductions are not available yet. The
1: technology doesn't yet exist to...
3: That has been mangled. That is not exactly what the IEA said. So the IEA explicitly said that, quote, all of the technologies needed to achieve the necessary deep cuts in global emissions by 2030 Mm -hmm. already exist. And the policies that can drive the deployment is already proven. So that means that we can already make all the the reductions we need right now with the tools we have right now. The IEA director said most of the reductions in CO2 emissions through 2030 come from those existing technologies Mm -hmm. already on the market. But in 2050, when we get to 2050, half of the reductions will have to come from technologies that we already know about now, that are already being developed right now, that already have prototypes right now, but they're still in development. They're not commercially scaled up. So we have to use the time between now and 2050 to scale up those emissions reductions technologies.
1: So that technology exists. It's just not yet to market.
3: Correct. It's super expensive right now. It's Uh like, you know, a a, a cell phone in the 1980s that, you know, gigantic, clunky, takes up your entire trunk, really expensive. That's the stage that... These technologies are at, but they do exist. Gotcha. So it's going to take time to get up there.
1: But for now, it's just junk in the trunk. Got <laughs> it. You go. Thank you very much, Desi and I appreciate that. I'm sure you'll have more on that in our upcoming Green News reports in the days ahead. Thanks to Desi Doyen, our producer. Also to my guest today, former federal prosecutor Randall D. Eliason of George Washington University Law School. And to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. We hope we have made it worth your while. If not your money back. (laughs) Uh, Speaking of money, thanks to those who have stopped by bradblog.com slash donate to help us stay on your public airwaves when the fossil fuel industry just will not sponsor us no matter how much we ask them to do so, even politely. bradblog.com slash donate. Drop me email if you like. I am bradcast at bradblog.com and you'll find me on the Facebooks and the Twitters at the Brad blog. That is it. We'll see you there. Until we see you here next time, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.